Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ, and today I'm very pleased to have as my guest Dr. Sean Farocchi. He's Department Chair and Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at Chapman University in Irvine, California. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to do a brief description of the study, and then we'll talk about it. Sounds great. The title of the article that he and his colleagues published in PTJ is The Influence of Active, Passive, and Manual Therapy Interventions for Low Back Pain on Opioid Prescriptions and Healthcare Utilization. This is a retrospective cohort study, and the authors explored associations between the utilization of active, passive, and manual therapy on low back pain with opioid prescriptions, spinal injections, specialty care visits, as well as hospitalizations. The study included over 4,800 patients, and the patients come from the Military Health System Data Repository, and these are patients who received outpatient physical therapy care for a low back pain in four different clinics. And the investigators followed them for one year looking at the, the outcomes relative to the various types of care that they received using multivariate uh, regression analyses and adjusted odds ratios. So I guess, Dr. Fruki, my first question is, I suspect most listeners are not familiar with the Military Health System Data Repository. Could you briefly describe it for us and then talk about the pros and the cons of using it uh, for this type of study, if you would? Absolutely. Thank you again for the opportunity to talk about our study. So the Military Health System Data Repository is a centralized database that captures healthcare data from worldwide network of more than 260 healthcare facilities within a single payer health system. Just to provide you some context in terms of the size of this data set, MDR processes more than 60 billion records annually, and these are both inpatient and outpatient records. So given this massive database, really it's used as prime for health services research, which is how we utilize it for this particular study. Thinking about the, some of the pros and cons, obviously the, the most obvious pro is that it's a huge database with a lot of different types of data kind of embedded within it, right? So if you think about uh, the comorbidities and different diagnoses that the patient may have in the electronic records, all of that information is in a centralized place that you can utilize to evaluate a given question. There's also opportunities to look at kind of patterns of healthcare that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do because everything is integrated. So whether it's, uh, it's mental health or you know the pain management, all surgical interventions, all that information is, this, is in a central place. So it's a really convenient way of doing uh, kind of health services research that we uh, took advantage of. But a couple of, um, I would say, obvious uh, cons or limitations that we had in terms of performing this particular study. One was that we 
really relied on current procedural uh, terminology codes to identify the type of interventions that were provided. CPT codes, just by nature, are very broad and nonspecific. If we, if we think about a code like 97110 for therapeutic exercise, there's really no information about what type of exercise was provided for the patient, how that exercise was carried out. So there's a lot of information missing. So some of that context could really provide additional information to better understand the data that we're looking at. Similarly, there is no patient reported outcomes within the MDR. So we have no information about clinical presentation of the patient in terms of pain intensity, their level of function, other clinical presentations in terms of neurologic symptoms that the patient may present with that would provide context for how the physical therapist developed a plan of care for the patient. We kind of talked about some of these limitations in the, in the limitation sections of our, our paper, but uh, those are some of the limitations that we're trying to address in some of our subsequent studies that are prospective in nature. There's a slight gender bias in the database, is there not? Absolutely. I mean, that that's really the nature of military cohorts. The high percentage of the data that we have available is on males. Yes. So that, that, that's definitely something that needs to be addressed in, in any study that's published from that database. Yeah, it's certainly understandable. And well, what a wealth of information available to you and your colleagues. I had never heard of it. And um, I was really struck by, um, as you say, what, what a, an advantage for someone interested in health services research. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about some of the descriptive findings, because I thought they were quite revealing. Uh, you, you reported the six most commonly used physical therapist interventions. And I thought this was really striking. Uh, the first, of course, was active interventions. And I was pleased to see that. Therapeutic exercise, neuromuscular re-education. And as you say, the database doesn't give you a lot of detail, but at least we know that. And that was almost 90%, just under 90% of the episodes included the active interventions. But the other top five included hot and cold packs, 42.5%, manual therapy, 35.4%, electrical stim, 17.9%, needle therapies, 10.6%, and mechanical traction, 9.5%. What really struck me is given, as you talk about it in your article, there's very little evidence to support these uh, so-called passive interventions with the exception of manual therapy, yet they're being used with a fairly high prevalence in these episodes of care. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, that, that's a million-dollar question. And it, it's really the focus of series of investigations that our research team is conducting to gain a better understanding of the the rationale or the insight behind why physical therapists are making these decisions. So um, before I answer your question, maybe I can talk a little bit about kind of what we're doing to more comprehensively understand the, the question at hand. So uh, our team just uh, completed data collection for a prospective clinical trial, looking at the influence of an education audit feedback strategy for physical therapists and how that may inform physical therapists in, in terms of making better decisions uh, in, in terms of following recommendations by the clinical practice guidelines and including psychologically informed physical therapy interventions 
in the management of their patients with low back pain. So that study has about, we have data about for about 2,800 service members and veterans that have received physical therapy across four sites, the four sites that we have in this study uh, across the military system and two large um, uh, VA hospitals um, in the US. So the idea was how do we gain more information about the clinical presentation of these patients, maybe the educational level and level of experience of the physical therapist and how those kind of factors may influence their decision-making. So as a part of that uh, kind of larger study, we performed two retrospective analyses. One is the study that we're talking about today in the military system. And we currently have uh, a similar type of an analysis across our two VA sites that's under review by PTJ. The findings across the both environments are very similar. So we're seeing again, um, and, and to our uh, pleasure that active treatments are really the cornerstone of physical treatment, physical therapy treatments for low back pain. About 90% across our DOD sites, about 98% across our VA sites. But then you see all of these passive treatments also being conducted, which don't really have a whole lot of evidence supporting them. Or in some cases, they're not even they have recommendations against them within the clinical practice guidelines, such as uh, traction. So some of the working hypotheses for our team in terms of explaining the usage, usage of some of these passive treatments is lack of awareness of the physical therapist of the latest recommendations by the clinical practice guidelines. And that our uh, clinical trial is essentially focused on providing that training where the individuals are receiving training on the latest recommendations and also including psychologically informed PT interventions into their treatment plan. And the idea is to look at short-term and long-term outcomes for their patients based on that education. So part of that, I think it, it's, it's, it's important to keep in mind. Another really important aspect to keep in mind is that the way physical therapy is practiced within the military is very different than uh, within the civilian sector. So whereas in the civilian sector, a physical therapist performs the evaluation and in most cases they carry out the interventions, within the military system, the physical therapist still perform the evaluations and re-evaluations and then the support staff in most cases carry out the interventions. Yeah. So, um, Given that the support staff, those are your PT assistants and your technicians are carrying out some of these interventions, the content of care could be influenced by their um, level of comfort with the type of interventions that they're providing. And there's a lot of variability within that. Still within the scope of plan of care that the physical therapist puts together, but um, what we're saying in terms of the actual content may be different because of that. So basically, two main hypotheses. One is lack of knowledge as to what is the appropriate um, approaches. And the second is maybe having to do with the level of training of the people who are actually doing the hands-on care. Absolutely. And there's a third working hypothesis, and I think this is an important one, that there are local clinical policies and procedures that may also influence the type of treatments that are being provided. Just to give you an example, when a clinic receives a continuing education 
training on a specific topic, let's say dry needling, their physical therapists are obviously competent in providing that treatment. And there is an upper level, I guess, coverage from the leadership because they approve the clinical education training that gives their physical therapist kind of a unchecked pass to, to use that treatment for the different diagnoses, whether they are supported by the evidence yeah. or not. Yeah. So, so part of that is, is maybe local clinical decisions that are being made based on the policies that that particular clinic has. You know, the, um, the VA and the military is a really interesting culture in which to do this type of study, because on the civilian side, I know from anecdotal experience, there's a lot of upcoding for reimbursement purposes. And that's not the case on, on the VA or the, or the military side. So you've eliminated uh, a major potential reason why people might be doing multiple passive interventions. I know in my own care over the years, I've always chuckled when I look at what um, what the billing codes look like. They're always upcoded um, to en enhance uh, reimbursement. Well, that's not the case in the military or in the VA. So you can really take a look at it more carefully. Yeah, and, and, and you bring up a good point that we really looked at some of these decisions based on the physical therapist's um, decision-making, right? Their preferences. So, uh, and, and one of the, our working hypotheses was that maybe there are certain physical therapists that you'd uh, overutilize some of these treatments more than others. So we did look at at an individual physical therapist level, and there was really no patterns apparent. So um, that, that that was an interesting finding that it, it's kind of widespread. And um, another piece of the puzzle, from my perspective, is patient preferences. Yeah. So when the patient comes in, and maybe they they request a certain modality, passive modality, they may be given that modality because of their input. So. Yeah. I think that's another piece that we need to keep in mind. And you didn't see age differences among therapists and years since training or anything like that in the use of passive modalities? So really interesting question. We, we will look at that in our prospective study. Obviously, we don't have the data yet because we're in the data processing phase of our trial. But we didn't have that level of demographics available in the database for the current study. Well, and that's that's one obvious limitation in using a database. You can only employ variables that are included in the database. And that gets to my next question, which really focuses on your one of your major findings. Uh, you confirmed your hypothesis that greater utilization of passive interventions, and you did it in a number of ways, both alone and in conjunction with active interventions, resulted in a greater one-year odds of receiving opioids, spinal injections, and specialty care visits. These findings came out of your um, regression analyses. Were you able to control for some of the key potential confounding variables like severity of the condition? No. So the only two covariates that, well, actually three that we controlled for, in the regression analyses, we did control for age and gender. And we also eliminated individuals that had received physical therapy within the 12 months prior to their index physical therapy appointment or evaluation that we use for the current study. So just to account for maybe long-term improvements that may have been due to a previous bout of physical therapy. 
But there were so many other covariates that we were interested in using that we didn't have access to. As you mentioned, the initial presentation of the patient in terms of pain severity, pain chronicity, uh, presence of neurologic symptoms would have been really important for us to consider that we didn't have access to. Again, in the prospective study, those are the uh, kind of variables that we'll have available to have a better understanding of some of these findings and see if we can replicate them knowing those limitations. Yeah. Did, did Does the database have um, duration since onset of the symptoms? It doesn't. The only way we can um, kind of have a proxy for that measure would be to see if there was a previous ICD-10 code for low back pain at any time prior to the index date. Yeah. Well, given that finding, let, let's assume for a moment it's not spurious. Uh, what, what do you think is the potential linkage between the use of more passive interventions, either alone or in conjunction, and the uh, greater likelihood of opioids and um, spinal injection. What's going on there? So I guess to um, kind of provide some context for, for these findings, one of the uh, kind of added pieces uh, of information that we presented in our, in our paper was the number of physical therapy treatments that an individual came in for and also duration of their care. That was our way of looking at the potential uh, severity of the individual symptoms. So if they came in for more visits for a longer amount of time, our assumption was that that individual had, uh, I guess, more severe symptoms that they needed more care. So what we saw in patients that received multiple passive interventions, on average, they came in for seven more visits and their duration of care was about 30 plus days longer. So it could very well be that those individuals had more severe symptoms. So the physical therapists used the passive interventions as a way of pain management so that the individual could be involved in the active treatment component of their care. So that, that's very possible. So, um, but, but the fact remains that those individuals that do require a lot of passive treatments also have kind of lingering long-term healthcare utilization needs. So there's definitely a gap in our knowledge of how that type of uh, intervention approach, which was about 30% of our cohort, that's a, that's a large part of our sample, received multiple passive interventions. So there, there needs to be more questions asked and, and investigation in terms of what leads a physical therapist to decide in using multiple passive intervention in the care of a patient. Interestingly, in our VA cohort, we saw a very interesting trend in terms of individuals that had two or more passive codes in, during their duration of care, also had a 30% increase in primary care visits, 80% increase odds of receiving specialty care. So very similar in terms of the findings that we saw in our, in our military cohort. You'll be able to tease that out a little bit better in your subsequent work that you've already talked about. Oh, absolutely. And, and and that's one of the kind of main aims of the, the clinical trial, to look at some of these factors to see why individuals yeah. are receiving more passive treatments. Well, let's talk about another finding and its implications. Patients who receive manual therapy, in addition to any active interventions, had a 50% lower probability of receiving a spinal injection, 
as compared to those who only received active. And you observed a 30% reduction in the need for specialty care for those who received manual therapy uh, along with active intervention. So clearly something is going on there. At least there's a strong association between use of manual therapy and these outcomes. Yet when, when you, you presented your descriptive findings, only 35% of the patients received manual therapy. I must say that surprised and disturbed me. Um, what's going on there, do you think? That was very surprising to our team as well. Um, given that manual therapy is supported by almost all clinical practice guidelines for management of low back pain, and more specifically in the latest APTA CPG that came out, it's recommended for both acute and chronic low back pain. So seeing that only 30% of patients received that was really surprising. Again, showing the similarities between this study and our VA study, only 30% of patients in the VA received manual therapy, very similar. And what we saw in our VA cohort was that individuals that received manual therapy plus an active intervention had a 30% reduction in prescription of opioids after receiving PT. So really exciting and uh, I would say in potentially impactful findings that manual therapy could have very positive outcomes for patients with low back pain. Yes, it's, it's, it's really underutilized. So we have a couple of working hypotheses in terms of why that is. Um, one potential reason for lack of manu manual therapy use was kind of what I alluded to previously. The support staff carry out most of the treatments. Their level of competence and comfort with providing those treatments may be a determining factor here. So if you have a PT assistant or a technician who hasn't been uh, trained in providing manual therapy, obviously that's not gonna be one of the treatments that they're gonna provide for the patient. So that's a, that's a potential explanation for kind of lower percentage of patients receiving manual therapy. There's also a possibility that patients may have received manual therapy, but the, the physical therapist or the support staff did not include it, include the code in the electronic health records. I mean, missing data in that in this type of a study is fairly common. So that that's definitely um, a possibility. And then the, the third explanation that we think is 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 potentially contributing to this underutilization of manual therapy is kind of the negative perceptions due to conflicting conflicting evidence and anecdotal evidence that manual therapy is passive, so physical therapists should not use them. So, yeah. so there's yeah. definitely a need to educate um, physical therapists and, and also provide more evidence uh, as to why manual therapy could be beneficial. It, it probably, you talked about this in your article, and of course you treated manual therapy separately for that reason, which makes a whole lot of sense. It suggests to me maybe we should stop talking about passive versus active. It's more complicated than that. Um, but I want to go back to your first potential uh, hypothesis as to why this is occurring, having to do with the treatment uh, um, a model in, in, in these settings, and that is delegating the actual intervention to the assistant or uh, other care provider, but not the physical therapist. Um, in your current trial, you won't be able to get at that. Um, if that really is uh, an important factor, you're going to have to design another trial because that's a really 
if I was in the military and the VA system, I'd want to know whether or not that, in fact, was the the predominant reason, because that would suggest you've got to restructure the way in which care is being provided. That's really an important hypothesis. I hope you and your colleagues can can investigate. Yeah, you, you are right that our current trial is not really designed to answer that particular question. However, what what we may be able to uh, tap into is that as a part of the training that the physical therapists receive in terms of CPG recommendations, obviously manual therapy was emphasized as one of the treatments that they should uh, implement for their patients. So um, seeing whether there was an uptick in use of manual therapy after um, training would be interesting to see whether the educational aspect of our treatment was actually effective. Yeah. Yeah. That's no criticism of your current trial. You can't do it, do everything in one trial. It just gives you another, another trial to do. Right. Right. My last question, uh, you had hypothesized that uh, there would be an association with the different types of interventions and subsequent hospitalization, but you really didn't find any association. Care to comment on that? Yeah, so so prior to looking at this data, our hypothesis was that if an individual is not receiving the right care at the right time, there may be a subset of those individuals that end up in the emergency room or maybe be hospitalized and, and opt to receive surgical interventions for the low back pain if, if they're not receiving the right care. To our surprise, and actually um, uh, we're really happy to see this, the percentage of patients that received, that they were hospitalized for low back pain was very low. Yeah. So prior to receiving physical therapy, it was about 4, 4%, and it was lower, even lower after receiving physical therapy. So we really had um, a floor effect in terms of being able to see, to see any differences between groups because the percentages were so low and there was not a whole lot of variability. So um, I, I think that that's, that was one of the factors that um, probably uh, determined kind of this lack of outcome uh, in terms of the support of our hypothesis. Well, Dr. Faroki, congratulations on your study and your ongoing studies. This is really an important uh, area and I congratulate you and your colleagues I encourage our listeners to take a look at the article in PTJ, and um, I thank you for taking the time today to discuss it with me. Thank you very much. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.